Welcome to the Museum of Femininity, a podcast where I, Charlotte Appleyard, discuss random topics of interest that relate to social history, art and material culture through a female lens. I hope you enjoy. Welcome back to the Museum of Femininity. In today's episode, we will be exploring the life and legacy of Helen Keller, who lived from 1880 to 1968 and was an American author and educator who was also deaf and blind. Her accomplishments and story point to a shift in attitudes towards people with disabilities. Helen was born on the 27th of June 1880 in Tuscumbia, Alabama. Her father was Arthur Henley Keller and her mother Catherine Everett Keller. The family lived on a homestead, that Keller's grandfather had built ten years earlier. Helen grew up with four siblings, Mildred and Philip, and two older half-brothers, James and William, who her father had had during his first marriage. Arthur worked for many years as an editor at the Tuscumbia, North Alabama, and also served as a captain in the Confederate Army. Prior to the war, the family were members of the upper classes and had owned slaves. However, later, the Callers lost their prominence. Her mother was also the daughter of Charles W. Adams, who was a Confederate general. At the age of 19 months, Helen Keller was afflicted with an illness that is speculated to be scarlet fever. As a result of this, she was left blind and deaf. For the early part of her life, Keller communicated using home signs, a gestural communication system often invented spontaneously by a deaf child who lacks accessible linguistics. However, things changed when Alexander Graham Bell examined Keller when she was six years old and decided to send a 20-year-old teacher called Anne Sullivan from the Boston-based Perkins Institution of the Blind, which his son-in-law directed, to come and help the infant Helen. By the age of seven, Helen had up to 60 home signs, which some in her family could understand and could also distinguish between people based on the vibrations of their footsteps, conveying an early sign of her intelligence and ability to decipher the world around her. Her skills would only develop further with the arrival of Anne Sullivan, and what preceded was a remarkable and important relationship between teacher and pupil, which stretched until Sullivan's own death in 1936. Anne Sullivan's upbringing was very different to Keller's, As the daughter of poor Irish immigrants, she entered Perkins at 14, following four traumatic years as a ward of the state at Cheeksbury Alms House in Massachusetts. Like Helen Keller, Sullivan suffered from serious vision problems and endured many botched operations as a child before her sight was partially restored. Despite this, there is much evidence to suggest, although these surgeries did help with some of the pain, her vision was still severely impaired for most of her life. 
In addition, she had to do a lot of reading during the course of Kala's education and later proofreading Kala's own writing. Gradually, over time, this proved to be very arduous and difficult for her. Helen Keller had some behavioural issues as a child and often through tantrums. A part of Anne's work with her involved discipline, but in a loving and understanding way, as well as teaching her how to communicate. Within months of Sullivan's arrival, Helen had learned to fill objects and associate them with words spelt out by finger signals on her palm. This allowed her to read sentences by feeling raised words on cardboard and to also communicate by spelling out her own sentences by arranging words in a frame. The first word she learned was doll, using a doll Sullivan had bought her. Of course, these things did not completely come naturally, and initially Keller did struggle as she could not comprehend that every object had a word identifying it. This caused Keller to become frustrated. There is one story of Sullivan's trying to teach Keller the word for mug, but unable to absorb the lesson, Keller smashed the object. Soon she started simply imitating Sullivan's hand gestures, but as she would later say, quote, I did not know that I was spelling a word or even that words existed. I was simply making my fingers go in monkey-like imitation, end quote. A breakthrough would come when Keller realised the motions Sullivan was making on her palm while pouring water over her other hand symbolised water. She described the impact of this moment in The Story of My Life, her memoir. Quote, I stood still, my whole attention fixed upon the motions of her fingers. Suddenly I felt a misty consciousness as if something forgotten, a thrill of returning thought, and somehow the mystery of language was revealed to me. I knew then that W-A-T-E-R meant the wonderful, cool something that was flowing over my hand. The living word awakened my soul, gave it light, hope, set it free. Keller quickly demanded that Sullivan sign the name of all the other familiar objects in her world. In 1888-90, Helen spent a winter at the Perkins Institute where she learnt how to read Braille. Once she had grasped this, she began the slow process of learning to speak, which she had expressed an interest in from the age of 10. Under the guidance of Sarah Fuller, who worked at the Horace Mann School for the Deaf. In addition to this, she learnt how to lip-read by placing her fingers on the lips and throat of the speaker, while words simultaneously spelt out for her. Helen's progress was so impressive that famously, at 11, she was accused of plagiarism, particularly uh, plagiarising her teacher Anne Sullivan's ideas. However, Alexander Graham Bell and Mark Twain, who was an admirer of her, both flew to her defence, calling it a farce. At 14, Keller enrolled at the Wright Humerson School for the Deaf in New York and at 16 entered the Cambridge School for Young Ladies in Massachusetts. In 
1900, Helen won admission to the Radcliffe College. While here, she lived at Briggs Hall, South House, and met Mark Twain, who admired her work and introduced her to Standard Oil magnate Henry Hutton Rogers, whose wife, Abby, helped pay for her education. She would go on to graduate in 1904 at the age of 24, becoming the first deaf-blind person to obtain a Bachelor of Arts degree. A year later, Anne Sullivan married John Macy, but continued as a companion and teacher for Helen Keller. A young Scottish girl called Polly Thompson was also hired to keep house and would later become a secretary and friend to Keller. Helen had developed skills that had never been honed by any similarly disabled person. As a result, she was able to write about her experience of blindness, providing a first-hand perspective. Interestingly, writing about this subject was considered taboo in women's magazines due to the association between blindness and venereal diseases. Despite this, Edward W. Bock accepted Keller's articles for the Ladies' Home Journal and other major magazines, such as The Century and The Atlantic Monthly. In 1909, Helen Keller became a member of the Socialist Party and actively campaigned and wrote in support of the working classes from 1909 to 1921, Many of these speeches were in support of the women's right to vote and against the effects of the war. Around this time, Keller also had speech therapy to help her voice become clearer so she could give more public speeches. She was determined and driven, often protesting if anyone refused to publish her work until they finally succumbed and put it to print. In addition to magazines, Keller also wrote about her life in several books, including The Story of My Life, 1903, and Light in My Darkness and My Religion, 1927. In 1913, Keller began lecturing with the aid of an interpreter, mostly on behalf of the American Foundation for the Blind, for which she later established a $2 million endowment fund. Keller toured around the world giving talks and co-founded the American Civil Liberties Union with American civil rights activist Roger Nash Baldwin in 1920. As Helen Keller's prominence rose, so did her desire to use her influence to enact social change, particularly around the treatment of the deaf and the blind. Her work helped build towards the removal of the disabled from asylums and also prompted the organisation of commissions for the blind in 30 states in 1937. In 1916, at 36, Helen Keller met and fell in love with journalist Peter Fagan, a 29-year-old man who wrote for the Boston Herald and was hired to be Anne Sullivan's secretary after she fell ill. Fagan had much in common with Keller, but perhaps most notably they shared socialist values. Fagan learnt how to communicate with her using fingerspelling and would use this method of communication to read her articles and letters. It must have been quite an intimate experience for the couple. 
Keller kept their relationships a secret and made plans to marry Fager. However, when this was discovered, Anne Sullivan and her family expressed disapproval of the marriage. They quashed the relationship by forcing Keller to leave town. Threats were also expressed by her gun-toting brother. It seemed like, despite writing several books and graduating from college, the notion of love and marriage for a deaf-blind woman was just too difficult to comprehend, highlighting clear ableist sensibilities from this period in time. This was a time when many disabled people were kept hidden away from society. Although Keller was able to overcome this fate, the stigma around disability and sexuality proved to be too great a barrier and eventually she acquiesced to her family's wishes. She wrote, quote, I corresponded with the young man for several months in her memoir Midstream about the aftermath of her romance with Fagan. She continued, quote, but my love dream was shattered, end quote. It seemed from her childhood Keller's natural sexual desires were minimised She was often not allowed to be alone with men and was discouraged from reading romance novels, which she often enjoyed in secret. I love Keller's defiant spirit and passion for life. She followed her heart no matter what society thought, and for the most part she was able to achieve great things, even if she was not able to enjoy a romantic relationship in the open. Anne Sullivan's health started to decline in 1914, and gradually she lost her eyesight. During this time, Helen Keller provided emotional support when her friend grew depressed. For most of her life, Sullivan had concealed and downplayed her own impaired vision. This was to ensure her credentials as a teacher were never questioned. However, her sight had deteriorated, To such a point, she declined public appearances to avoid also revealing she could no longer walk independently across a stage. In Sullivan's mind, her poor eyesight was entangled with her impoverished past and was a source of shame for her. Interestingly, Keller would also end up acting as a sort of assistant, typing letters she dictated when her eyes gave her too much trouble. Anne Sullivan had dedicated most of her life to ensuring her pupil was self-sufficient and independent, so there is a strange sort of irony that later in life she herself was unable to adapt in the same way and required a lot of support from her loved ones. Sullivan died in 1936 after falling into a coma with Callow by her side holding her hand. Following these sad events, Keller and Thompson moved to Connecticut. This was also when Keller travelled widely, raising funds for the blind. Polly Thompson had a stroke in 1958 and never truly recovered, passing away in 1960. Winnie Corbally had been hired to take care of Thompson and stayed on following her death as a companion to Keller for the rest of her life. Between 1946 and 1957, Keller visited 35 countries, meeting with various world leaders, including Winston Churchill. 
1948, she also visited Japan as America's first goodwill ambassador. This trip proved to be a huge success, with up to 2 million Japanese people coming to see her. Her appearance also drew attention to the plight of the blind and disabled community within Japan itself. Her travels continued and in 1955, at age 75, she embarked on one of her longest journeys, a 40,000 mile trek and five month tour through Asia. Once more, her presence shone a light on issues surrounding the millions of blind people and individuals suffering from vision loss, encouraging people to evaluate and improve their living conditions. Needless to say, she was an international celebrity and had enormous influence, becoming a leading personality of the late 19th and early 20th century, with the likes of Eleanor Roosevelt, Albert Einstein and Dwight D. Eisenhower as her friends. Keller was honoured around the globe, garnering awards and even honorary doctoral degrees from Temple and Harvard University in the US, as well as Glasgow, Berlin, Delhi University, and also universities in South Africa. She also received an honorary Academy Award in 1955 as the inspiration for the documentary about her life, Helen Keller in her story. In 1960, Keller suffered a stroke and from 1961 onwards lived quietly at Arkenbridge, her home in West Point, Connecticut. She made her last major public appearance in 1961 at Washington DC Lions Club International Foundation meeting, where she received the Lions Humanitarian Award for her lifetime of service to humanity and for providing the inspiration for the adoption by Lions Club International Foundation of their site conservation and aid to blind programme. During the visit, she also went to the White House to meet President Kennedy. He was just one of many presidents she had met, starting all the way back to Grover Cleveland. Keller died on June 1st, 1968, a few weeks short of her 88th birthday. Her ashes were placed next to her companions, Anne Sullivan and Polly Thompson, in St Joseph's Chapel of Washington Cathedral. During her life and following her death, Helen Keller's life story was frequently adapted for media. One of the most famous examples was the 1962 film version of the play The Miracle Worker, which tells the story of Anne and Helen's early partnership and work together, starring Patty Duke and Anne Bancroft, both winning Academy Awards for their performances and being lauded for the intense physicality they displayed in the film. Following her death, she also received many posthumous honours, including being inducted in the National Women's Hall of Fame in 1973 and having a hospital and preschool named after her. This is perhaps her greatest legacy, helping to change negative perceptions around individuals with disabilities, and particularly those who are deaf-blind, and what they are capable of achieving. I learned a great deal about this remarkable woman while reading for this episode. What stood out to me the most was her determination to break these barriers 
and her strong views on society and the way the poor and disabled should be treated. I think she was hugely inspiring and lived life to the full, accomplishing so much that would have been remarkable for any woman of her time, let alone a woman who was also deaf and blind, which were conditions that sadly in those days would have brandished a child unable to learn or live a normal life. Her relationship with Anne Sullivan is also a fascinating and important study into the power of perseverance and clearly a vital development in the education of children who are deaf and blind. I am, however, saddened that Keller was unable to find romantic love and feel she deserved this happiness and cannot understand why this was denied her despite everything else she had done in her life and all the barriers she had overcome. This desexualization of disabled people is a hugely discriminatory attitude, which is sadly still present today. Despite this aspect of her story, I think overall Helen Keller is perhaps one of the most interesting people I have ever encountered, and is someone whose legacy deserves to be forever remembered as being one of the most important historic figures of the 20th century. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am very aware as well that this is quite a summary of Helen Keller's life and there may be some nuances to her story and her beliefs being a woman who was alive, you know, in the late 19th, early 20th century, which was another time uh, there, there may be aspects of her ideas and story that I have not delved into with great depth. So I would be very interested in hearing from anyone if they have any commentary to add to this episode. Please feel free to comment on any posts on Instagram where I will also be posting some images to accompany this episode. You can follow us at the Museum of Femininity and it would be great to hear from you. I hope to be much more consistent in the year 2023 so I, I hope to have two episodes out a month so if you enjoyed this please um, keep an eye out for future episodes. I think the next one will perhaps focus on the life of women in medieval England which is a topic I have great interest in so I hope you come back for that and as always the source material will be in the show notes so check that out if you want to read further about Helen Keller. So I hope you have a lovely day whatever you may be doing and I will see you soon. Goodbye!